أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبعد عن أبي سعيد الخضري رضي الله تعالى عنه عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لن يشبع مؤمن من خير حتى يكون منتهاه الجنة رواه الترمذي وقال حديث حسن Abu Sa'id al-Khudri who narrates a hadith I think that we read it last week as well but since or the last like two weeks ago as well but uh, I'm not 100% sure so in order to make sure that we finished the, the book uh, I thought I'd read it again that Abu Sa'id al-Khudri who said uh, that the messenger of Allah وسلم, said that a believer will not be satisfied or satiated from goodness until uh, his end is in Jannah and uh, in a number of other narrations of the same hadith it's uh, explicitly mentioned from that good from the good things that a person hears that they'll keep wanting to hear good over and over uh, again the remembrance of Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the remembrance of, of Jannah uh, the remembrance of good deeds the uh, enjoining of that which is good and the forbidding of that which is evil and the uh, uh, exhortation toward righteousness that a person will, who enjoys hearing that the believer will enjoy hearing it again and again and again and they'll never be satisfied they'll never get enough until uh, this uh, desire will take them to Jannah وعن أبي أمامة رضي الله تعالى عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال فضل العالم على العبد كفضل على أذناكم ثم قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن إن لله إن الله عفوا وملائكته وأهل السماوات والأرض حتى نملة في حجرها وحتى الحوت يصلون على معلم الناس الخير رواه الترمذي وقال حديث حسن أبو أمام رضي الله تعالى عنه he mentions that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said the virtue of the person of knowledge over the worshipper is like my virtue over the least of you this is a big this is a big statement by the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم this is a, an understanding that the Ummah used to have at some point and seems to have lost now in its current neo-Protestant form which is what? the virtue of a person of what? the virtue of a person of what? of knowledge over a worshipper he said وسلم, is the virtue of me over the least of you Meaning what? That the knowledge is itself a rank. The knowledge itself is a rank with Allah Ta'ala. This is a different issue what the definition of ilm is with, uh, with the uh, uh, advent of Islam. What does ilm mean? Does it merely mean information or does it mean something else? And ilm is a, you know, is a, knowledge is in our tradition not just information, the ability to prattle off facts, but an understanding of the way things are, what the nature of things is, what the nature of reality is. And it's described by a number of our aslaf as nur, 
as a light, something that allows you to discern what the essential reality between one thing is and what the essential reality of another thing is. But he says that the virtue of the person who has that knowledge over the person who has been given a great amount of worship is like the virtue of myself over the least of you. Now tell me something, the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, did he used to worship a lot or a little? A lot, right? He used to pray literally the whole night. He'd pray until his feet swole up. He would fast uh, so much that people said he would fast sometimes until we thought that he never opens his fast. He went on jihad fi sabilillah. All of the different types he gave charity, every single type of worship there was, the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam outstripped other people in it, in quality and in quantity. However, he's saying this and it's not in order to disparage, to say that worship is stupid or a waste of time. It has a role and it has a function and it has a benefit that you get from it. But he's saying what? That it's still, the knowledge is a greater path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How much greater? It's like the difference between myself and the least of you. That the knowledge itself is a maqam, it's a station with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if a person never practices it. This is the reason I made the kind of Protestant Protestant comment. Why? Because we're replete, we're in a society which is replete with people who say that there's, you know, the person who has the knowledge and he doesn't practice, you know, he's XYZ bad person, he's this, he's that, he's the other thing, he's the other thing, he's the other thing. And the meaning that they derive from this and the meaning that they project from this when they say this and how they say it is to say that the practice is more important than the knowledge. And this is absolutely 100% false and it's not what the teaching of the Quran is, nor is it what the teaching of the Sunnah is. To say that knowledge has no value without practice, it's completely erroneous, it's a wrong understanding. Otherwise, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he was he combined between what a superlative station in knowledge and a superlative station in worship. So what would he have said? He would have said that the virtue of the worshipper over the person of knowledge is like the virtue, virtue of myself over the least of you. But he didn't say that. He said it the other way around. Look, the issue with having knowledge and not practicing it is this, is that the knowledge is like a, like a, a, a table spread filled with food. The table is already set. If you're there, you may as well eat. How sad would it be? The table is already set. You may as well eat. It's as if you know you did all the work, you put in the effort. This is your. It's like uh, it's like something you earned. So why would you why would you leave it on the table and then go hungry afterward? But that being said, the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself is described in the Quran as saying, "Qul," commanded to say by Allah Taala, "Say, Nama ana basharum mithlukum." That I am a, a human like you. Yuha ilayya annama ilahukum ilahum wahid. He's commanded by Allah Ta'ala to say, I'm a human like you. Now, is the Prophet a human like other humans? No. I mean, he's a human in the sense that he's a human being, right? The, uh, the, all of the awadid that, that pass over human beings also can pass over him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He's different than other people. So, the qadr mushtarak is bashariya. What's the difference is the wahi. The wahi is the part of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam's risala, which is all knowledge. It's all ilm. That I was given the knowledge that your your God is one God. 
Tawheed itself is a an expression, even to this day, it's an expression that means the doctrine of worshipping only one God, but it's also a, an expression meaning all of the aqaid of Islam and all of the beliefs of Islam from which the, the, the fiqh flows, from which the whole idea of uh, uh, of, of the hadith uh, flows from which the entire apparatus of how we engage with the Quran flows it's the essential part of Islam a person might not even know Surah Al-Fatiha or Qul Allahu Ahad but if they have Tawheed they have the key to Jannah they may need to spray a little WD-40 in the door to get it open but it will open it will open so this this thing that makes the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam different is what? It's knowledge. And then think about it from the flip side. Just doing good, being a do-gooder. Like people say nowadays, well, it's not, it's not that important. You know, whatever your religion is, it's just what's important is just you be a good human being, right? The people who say that are like the worst human beings ever. In fact, you cannot even accuse them of not putting in effort. The 20th century was filled with all sorts of weird movements, that were essentially movements that wanted to have a better future. They wanted to remake mankind in, in a better form. That's Stalin and his communists that killed God knows how many millions of people. That's Hitler and his Nazi party. That they literally they called it the eugenics program. They wanted to reshape the human race into like it's the best form it could possibly be. You know, all of them they're built on what good intentions. One might say that the people at the top are cynical, but what drove the engine wasn't cynicism. It was a whole lot of, of, of sincerity by a whole lot of people. Because if everybody's cynical in the system, the system doesn't work. There are a lot of people who believed in it. They put in effort, sacrifice. They, 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 they drank the Kool-Aid. They preached the word. They, they put in the effort. They thought that this is even, you know, even if I die before I see this, at least one generation will see this plan of like communism where like we're going to, all of a sudden, you know, somehow eradicate poverty and like radically redistribute, redistribute wealth amongst everyone so that there's like this equal equality and like a better life where the poor don't like get uh, left out to die like trash. Uh, but what happens, they, they're the ones, despite their massive effort and despite their good in, intentions, because the, they lack knowledge, because of their lack of access to wahi and because of their lack of aql, their lack of ability to reason through things properly they ended up causing and inflicting on the world the worst of horrors look at the chinese communist party look at the russian communist party look at nazism look at fascism look at all of these ideologies we live right now the people who are trying to push like 78 genders on you they also think they're making the world a better place the people who are trying to make america great again they're also literally trying to make america at least a, a better place they may not have nice things to say about other countries, but at any rate, most of them don't seem to be antagonistic. They're just like, hey, we want to take care of our own, our own home. All of it, though, it should be clear to a person who has any half, half wit of intellect that it's not going anywhere productive. It doesn't seem like it's making any sense. The Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the commandments of the Quran are very normal and simple and reasonable commandments. People read them and 
the problem that they have with the Quran is not the fact that it says that, you know, there's no, you know, the, the most honored of people is not black or white or Arab or non-Arab, but it's the one who fears God the most. The problem they have is not that the, like, keep your clothes clean, you know, you know, they don't have a problem with that. They don't have a problem with telling people not to worship idols in general. Uh, they don't have a problem in general with, you know, being good to your parents or with not lying or cheating and, you know, stinting one another and buying selling trade. If anything, they have a problem with what this. Oh, this is very total. It's very uh, uh, totalitarian. It just really is like single, single-minded, like monolithic, like this one thing that forces everybody to come to terms with what, with reasonableness, with things that are in general reasonable. So like nitpick, like little things to object about in the Quran, right? So people object. Oh, how come women like only inherit half of what a man inherits? Well, where was your objection when it, you know, like uh, the Quran mentions that a man has to give a woman. Uh, uh, Maharin, not the other way around, right? There's a system you didn't understand it, you objected to it. But the objections are all like like this. Why? Because a person wants to weasel out from having to submit to what they essentially would accept as being a relatively good thing. In general, many people actually, if they look at the teachings of Islam, even the most antagonistic people, they'll be like, yeah, this really sucks and I hate it and I hate the Muslims, but like, you know, if I had to be something other than what I am right now, I'd rather be this. Or rather, these guys, uh, whatever. Why? Because it's reasonable. All of it is reasonable. We as Muslims take the reasonability of Islam for granted. Even like secular Muslims, people like secular Muslims, I mean, they're culturally tied to Islamic civilization. So they may actually prefer to celebrate Eid rather than celebrate Christmas. Or they may prefer not to eat pork or whatever, right? Or they may say, okay, well, I'm going to drink, but not in front of the kids. You know, because like, culturally, they're, they're cultural Muslims, right? They benefit because we take all the reasonability of Islam for granted. They benefit from it. And then once they fail to transmit the understanding of why these precepts are useful to the next generation, then the next generation is the one that will go completely off the, off the reservation and things will fall apart. You won't see things fall apart right away. The point with all of this is what is that it's the knowledge that allows the door to open for making the world a better place in a way that's not completely horrific and it's not a complete nightmare. You don't have, you know, situations where Muslims conquered a land and like went door to door basically telling people either become Muslim or we're going to kill you. At most, people are upset that we belong to Persian civilization, we belong to Phoenician civilization, Coptic civilization, Hindu civilization, Iranian civilization, whatever, and these Arabs came to us and like basically subjugated our, our sovereign nation state. But as individuals... What did they get in return? They got in return a language. They got in return an access to culture, to arts, to movement throughout the world. They got access to, you know, running water and nice clothes and nice things to eat and all sorts of things in return. And they don't appreciate it, but they got some benefit from it. In general, Islam did inflict horrors on people. Uh, you see this, you know, like you have these like weird, uh, uh, you know, you'll have like you go on like far right Hindu websites. Like, oh, so and so came and he killed like nine million people. Do you know how hard it is to kill nine million people? The Muslims slaughtered nine million people because they didn't accept it. You know how hard it is to kill nine million people? Like as a, as a, uh, um, a logistical exercise, right? Because we have some corporate corporate guys here, mashallah. Like how how would you like someone gave you a budget? How much of a budget would you need to kill nine million people? within like a decade. It's really difficult. What do you do with all the corpses? How are you gonna, your, 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 your knives will all go dull. Like, what are you gonna do with it? The Germans, who are completely 100% known in the world and famous in the world as being the paragons of efficiency. 
a brutal and merciless efficiency in everything that they do. Literally only racked up the count to six before like they even they couldn't do it. And what they did was horrible. It was literally the the mithal, yudrabu bihal mithal. Like it was the example for all of mankind until Yom Qiyamah of like the spectacle of cruelty. And they could only rack up six. This is all complete nonsense. This didn't happen. It's not even practical. This is one of the reasons actually Muslims conquered so many places is they didn't waste their time on doing stupid things like killing, genociding populations or even forcing them to become Muslim. It's a waste of time and effort. How many people are you going to beat up and force to like do your way? There's a reason America is more powerful than most totalitarian states in the world. It's because they waste all their time trying to put people in jail and beat them and to you know, convince them to do this, that, or the other thing. America has made like an art of letting people do whatever they want, but still getting your money out of them and then funding whatever you need to once you have your, their money in your hand, right? The point is, is, with all of this, is that the, 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 the ilm of the deen is what saved our forefathers from inflicting these types of horrors. And you'll see that people who are misguided, even within Islam, right? Look at who are the, the, the people who caused the most suffering in the ummah. Right, you see, like people like ISIS, they're blowing up masajid. They end up killing like manifold more people, Muslims than they end up killing non-Muslims. Not that it's like a good thing to kill Muslims, but I'm just saying, like, even if they say, "Oh, look, we're you know we're fighting on behalf of," you're just killing Muslims, right? You're just killing Muslims and fighters. People literally, they don't. They're people who don't know the Fatiha. Look at this weird Paris bombing that uh, they did, that nightclub. Uh, it's not bombing shooting that, that 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 happened a couple of years ago. It was in I think 2000 and like 18, 16, something like that. Um, the guy literally like joined ISIS out of a gay bar, like the one guy who's like alive. It doesn't betray, it's not like these are people who are students of knowledge who, are like, who follow Quran or whatever that are doing stuff like this. The ilm prevents a person from going down that route and the lack thereof is dangerous in a kafir and it's also dangerous in a Muslim as well. Uh, and so this is why you, you have to understand there's a reason the Rasul said this there's a reason why he said this and this lack of appreciation for the ilm is what will make us go down the same uh, lizard hole that other people went down before us people will say even if you never practice it no imagine a person learns the hukum of, of the sharia a person learns the, the hukum of how to fast in Ramadan and then they fast Ramadan what do you think you're going to get more reward for? Knowing how to fast Ramadan, keeping that knowledge inside of your heart, or actually the fast itself? The Rasul said, hadith attributed to him. Shawaliullah mentions it in his Hujjatullah. This wahi was literally sent, this revelation was literally sent from above the seven heavens and above the Arsh Alvim. We don't give it its due credit, its due value you'll see that the knowledge that you have of, of an act will actually reward you more on the Day of Judgment than doing the act itself. But the thing is, we don't value the knowledge. That's why nobody learns it anymore. Nobody learns it anymore. That's why we make a crap show out of like so many things that we, we do. It's like Midas, but with feces instead of gold. Everything you touch turns into crap. It's not a good thing. It's not the way of our elders, the way of our forefathers. What did they used to say? They used to say, a, a person for, for a person to make it, they, they a little bit of good deed is enough but you should do it right you should do it well and that requires what that requires knowledge that requires that you sure your knowledge should precede the act that you don't just do something and be like yeah mufti sahab you know this and that uh, did i do it right no learn the thing you're going to do first and then do it that you should have more knowledge than you should have action the the, the limiting reagent it should be what the action 
right? Imagine a person, a person wants to go hunting. They want to hunt seven ducks, and they go with six bullets. Are they? Does that make sense? No. You should have more knowledge than the action. You're not going to bring any action that's worthwhile on the day of judgment, or for that matter, in this world, if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, and you know, a good intention is not. It's it's an important start and it's a necessary start, but it's not a substitution for knowing what to do and how to do it. And then uh, Rasulullah sallallahu says, says, "Indeed, the angels uh, in the heavens, or in, indeed the angels and the denizens of the heavens and the earth, uh, including the uh, ant, which is in its ant hole, and the whale. All of them, they they pray for the one." Uh, amongst the human beings that teaches human beings good things. And why is that? As long as the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala is here in this world, it pushes the Yom Al-Qiyamah away from us. And it fills this dunya with barakah. Every one person who stops saying the name of Allah Ta'ala, every time a person less says less, La ilaha illallah, the people, the dhikr leave and the people of TikTok come and replace them, it saps a little bit of the khair and the barakah from this world. And uh, the animals feel it, people feel it, people who are themselves not watching TikTok, they feel it, the animals feel it, the angels feel it, the, the jinns feel it, everybody feels it. Uh, and so that's why they make dua for those people who, uh, who are still keeping this remembrance of Allah Ta'ala alive. And so here's the usage of the hatta as a, a harf uh, um, atf. So he says, حتى النملة, not حتى النملة, حتى النملة في حجرها وحتى الحوتة Until the whale itself, right? So this is another good thing, mashallah, people, mashallah, in the Midwest, nobody really recycles or cares about the environment here. I'm from Seattle. Stop drinking bottled water in plastic bottles. They end up pumping that stuff out of, like, the stomach of beach whales. A kafir should be like, yes, awesome, right? But why would we want to kill the whale? They're on our side. They're making to offer us. A kafir would be like, yeah, it's one of their guys. Let's get them, right? They're one of ours. Like, why would we want to? Why would we want that to happen? The birds. And like, we had to take care of all of that, right? I've seen, mashallah, many Burger King, Burger King uh, Khalifa guys. You know Burger King Khalifa guys? They say preach about the khilafa, 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 and the they're eating haram burgers, right? Allah Ta'ala Khalifa. I'm putting a Khalifa in the, in the earth Start by taking care of You're a Khalifa now Mashallah Who here wants to establish Khilafa? Raise your hand Look, I'm raising my hand Who here wants to establish Khilafa? Right? You got your Khilafa Allah Ta'ala Khalifa. Why you not use some sort of like pacifist hippie Or Sufi <laughs> You're that, that kind You came in the wrong place, bro Yeah we're not the, 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 it's important to be a good person, Sufis, you know, like it is, but we're not the, you know what I mean, right? So you're Khalifa now, go take care of it, all of this, Allah will ask you about it. Uh, so this is why, this is why though, that they, they make, so there's another narration, so notice that these are different companions that are narrating very similar fadail of knowledge. Abu Darda, radiallahu ta'ala, who is one of the uh, master Quran reciters. Um, from Khazraj from amongst the Muhajirin there were people that the Muhajirin used to learn the Quran from and from amongst the Ansar there were people that the Ansar used to learn the Quran from all of them were from Khazraj the Hafaz that the Prophet had authorized to teach the people Quran Abu Darda who was one of them and with the memorization of the Quran in the old days 
uh, uh, used to come the understanding the knowledge of it as well and the knowledge of other things that are necessary for a Muslim all of it fiqh now we have like fiqh books aqidah books hadith etc all of that knowledge is wrapped up in the Quran it's just that a person has to have enough basira to be able to see it have enough understanding uh, to be able to see it otherwise anybody once you tune your head out you know taraweeh all of it will all of it will pass somehow or another right if you tune it out so Abu Darda who was uh, sent by Sayyidina Umar to teach the people of Sham their deen. Uh, and he was himself a master Quran reciter that the, the Ansar used to learn from. When Abu Darda it's a beautiful uh, uh, narration. Uh, Abu Darda who said, I heard the Messenger of Allah وسلم, say, Whoever takes a path upon which they seek knowledge, Allah will make easy for them a path to Jannah. So, Mubarak to all of you, mashallah. Mubarak to all of you. You obviously didn't come because we serve a good dinner afterward. There are other there are other darses and halaqat you can go, you'll find a wife easier or a husband easier or whatever, right? This is not that joint. So mubarak to all of you that the Messenger of Allah gave you the bishara that he'll make easy for you a path to Jannah. Obviously, someone might say, "Well, that's not me because you know I don't know. My dad forced me to come, or whatever. Huh? My dad forced me to come. You know, he's like so kind of Molana or something. You know, and made me come. Right? The bishara for those people is different. The good glad tidings for different that the angels say, ah, you know, you just came because pops made him come, right? And then Allah Taala will say to the angels, will say, Those are such people. Even the ones who just keep company with them, they'll never be wretched. They'll always be happy." Right? But if you made the intention, you're going to come anyway. You may as well make the intention, right? Okay, I get it. It's boring. It's boring for all of us, right? I get it. Even even if it was, I know, not for you. You're a pious. You're a Sufi, mashallah. You make zikr and stuff. You should make dua for me. I respect that. But the thing is this, right? If a person it crossed their mind that you know, really it is kind of boring, say, mashallah, no. I'm coming anyway. Inshallah, there'll be some part of the ilm. It will benefit me. It will benefit me in this world. It'll benefit me in the hereafter. Allah Ta'ala will open the path and then when you see you know like oh look the path is opening on the day of judgment for me and it's easy for me to get a jannah i thought that was just like a hadith or whatever right really <laughs> you thought it was just bakwas like you know like you know like just pious like Sab bakwas like no it will happen it will happen it will happen in this world you'll see it open and on that in the day of judgment you'll see it open up even clearer and don't be surprised on that day don't be don't be one of those guys huh don't be surprised. You'll see it, inshallah. It says that Allah will make easy for them the path to Jannah. And indeed, the angels they spread their wings and lay them on the floor, uh, out of how pleased they are with what the student or what the seeker of knowledge uh, is doing, 
the, their, what, what the seeker of knowledge is doing. And the angels are what? They're pleased with good things. They don't eat and drink in that sense. But their ghida, even though they don't need it for energy, like the body is nur. It's itself energy, right? But the thing that keeps them going, the thing that makes them happy, like a human being, if you give them money, they become happy, right? You give me money, I become happy. Not a very good Sufi, right? Right? But, uh, you know, like, like you give someone money, you give someone something good to eat, you do something good by somebody, they become happy, right? So the thing that the angels, that drives them is what? Is, is worship with the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. That's what makes them happy. And the thing that annoys them or upsets them is dirty things and the disobedience of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. So imagine that this is one of the things that it makes them so happy. They come like, like into a trance. They mellow, mellow out. They spread their wings and lay them on the floor uh, uh, out of uh, happiness like a pet would do, you know. Out of happiness that look, mashallah, how how wonderful it is the thing that this, these people are doing. Well, in, in indeed the, the person of knowledge, everyone in the heavens and everyone in the earth, including the whales inside of the sea, all of them they ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive that person, the person of knowledge, and the virtue of the person of knowledge over the worshiper is like the virtue of the full moon over all of the other stars. This moon is so much brighter. It's so much bigger. The night of the full moon, you actually cast a shadow. Whereas you'll never have shadow by starlight. You cannot. You can tell directions by starlight, but you can't tell what's on the ground by starlight. But you can tell what's on the ground by moonlight. It's very bright. It's very bright. In fact, just last night, the when I was sleeping, the 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 way the moon was, it literally woke me up. Like I, I I'm very sensitive. Light um, uh, will wake me up. So usually if it's like after Fajr, I'm trying to sleep, I wrap like a, 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 like a t-shirt or something around my eyes because it will wake me up. The moonlight actually woke me up at night. That's how bright it was. Uh, and I can tell you all sorts of fun stories about the Badia, also how bright the moonlight is uh, over there as well. But otherwise, this is going to just become reminiscing about Mauritania stories. And Jawad's not here, so uh, it's no fun. Uh, so he says that, 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 that the virtue of the person of knowledge over the worshipper is like the virtue of the full moon uh, over all of the uh, other stars. And indeed, the people of knowledge are the heirs of the prophets, So who inherits from you? It's not a stranger, right? It's the people who are closest to you in relation. So if you have children, your brother will not inherit from you. If you have a brother, your uncle will not inherit from you. If you have an uncle, your cousin will not inherit from you. If you have a father, your grandfather doesn't inherit from you. It's the person who's closest to you in kin. This is a bishara, mashallah, for everybody who loves ilm. And everybody who desires knowledge. Which is what? The people of knowledge are the heirs of the prophets, alayhim And indeed, the prophets didn't leave behind gold coins or silver coins. They left behind nothing except for knowledge. And so whoever uh, takes it has taken a, a great share. It so happens this is the part of the book we're on right now. I'm not just doing this to like whatever, puff up the like moviocracy or whatever. But mashallah, would I, I would be lying if I said that these, these ahadith still make me so happy to this day. It really makes no sense to me after hearing this why a person would not uh, spend a significant amount of their time learning ilm. I understand, you know, sometimes life is what it is. Not everyone can like do it as a profession. But why people are not excited about it, it kind of fogs and boggles the mind. Uh, um, you know, even, even Abdurrahman al-Dakhil, the, the last son, surviving son of the house of Umayyah, 
sprinted across North Africa to make it to Spain so that like the the black turbans of Banu Abbas wouldn't like cut him down like a dog and uh, all the difficulties he went through in order to cement rule in Andalus um, and keep the bloodline of their family alive and what what was his wasiya to his children that like I fought all these wars and survived all this for you you guys don't worry about any of this just study knowledge I just did it so you can study knowledge his father uh, um, uh, uh, Hisham bin Abdul Malik himself was a person of knowledge and is a person who loved ilm. Banu Umayyah was up and down. Not everyone was the greatest and not one. everyone was the evil evil either, right? I guess if you count Sayyidina Uthman, then yes, one of them was the greatest and Sayyidina Muawiyah was pretty, 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 pretty high up there as well. But not all of them were Yazid either. Some of them were good people. I think this is also another thing is that the amount of violence that came with the overthrow of Banu Umayyah uh, was probably... Uh, accompanied by some uh, historical revisionism by the people who take the throne afterward but uh, Hisham, Hisham bin Abdul Malik by, by whatever counts he was a, a brilliant administrator and he was a person who loved and cultivated scholarship it's probably where he got it from but from amongst their line um, there are muhaddithun that uh, make it to the to the tabaqat that Zahabi like will mention in his Sir al-Alam uh, and uh, scholars that ruled over uh, Andalus. And if you look on the other side, the uh, Banu Abbas as well, uh, Harun Rashid uh, uh, cultivated like the best of the ulama to be the tutors for his, uh, for his children. The people understood that this is why you even compete with each other for the dunya, so that you can get some piece of the ilm because it's not an easy path to take. Uh, otherwise, this idea that you're going to become rich and then turn your back on all of these things, it's not part of the logic of Islam. It's not part of the logic of Islam. It's not. Kings, even tyrants in the old days, they used to enjoy this. They would do that. They would like amass great power and great wealth and they would call the greatest scholars of the different parts of the Muslim world and they would sit and learn dars from them, you know, and they may, don't even understand any of it. But it's just one of those things, like just like it's the same way that like Barack Obama will call like, you know, so-and-so pop star to sing at his inauguration or whatever. They still, they still held these things in great esteem even though you know, just because Obama goes to an NBA player doesn't mean he doesn't, he actually knows how to play ball or anything. You know what I mean? But it's just, they held these things in esteem. Whereas now, uh, uh, whatever is happening now is happening now. When Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu qala sami'atu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqulu naddarallahu imra'an نظر الله امرأ عفوا سمع منا شيئا فبلغه كما سمعه فرب مبلغ أوعى من من سامع رواه الترمذي وقال حديث حسن صحيح. سيدنا عبد الله بن مسعود رضي الله تعالى عنه the one about whom رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم said that that I, I'm pleased with for my ummah what uh, Ibn Ummi Abd is pleased with for my ummah and I dislike for my ummah what Ibn Ummi Abd disliked for my ummah which was a diminutive nickname of Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mas'ud he was a herder who used to herd uh, sheep for Abu Jahl in Jahiliyyah he wasn't a, a person of high uh, nobility, nobility status he was from Hudayl, he was a Bedouin uh, but because of Islam, uh, he was one of the great mashayikh and one of the great mujtahidun uh, and fuqaha of the companions of Allah. So he said, I heard the Messenger of Allah وسلم, say, May Allah Ta'ala make bright uh, a man or make shine a man who hears f- from us something and then 
will pass it on to another person, will deliver that knowledge to somebody else just as, as he heard it. Uh, and how many a person, how many a person, the information will arrive to them and they'll understand it. Once it comes to them, they'll understand even better than the person who told it to them. Meaning what? There's so many things in the sunnah that are literally meant to be passed on. They may not even have been for the companions or the Allah on whom the Prophet sent them for other people. Those the nations, those people, those scholars, those ages, those times, those circumstances that he his life didn't directly touch, you know, before he uh, passed to the Barzakh Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so they're preserved for that reason because that knowledge will be useful to somebody later on. So in that sense, who knows who's the sheikh and who's the student? Maybe someone hears something and you'll understand it in a way I don't understand it if you didn't hear it already. Or maybe you'll tell it to somebody and that person will understand it in a way that you didn't understand it. And guess what? In the process, all the people who preserve the knowledge and pass it on, they get the reward for it. Why? Because the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, how many, how many a, a person receives a piece of knowledge and then they, they encompass its meaning more thoroughly than the person who originally heard it. وعن أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من سئل عن علم فكتمه ألجم يوم القيامة بلجام من نار رواه أبو داود والترمذي وقال حديث حسن This is another important hadith Muslim mentions it in his the مقدمة of his صحيح that Abu Hurairah رضي الله تعالى عنه said that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said whoever is asked about knowledge knowledge that they have with certainty whoever is asked about knowledge here the knowledge means the knowledge that they have with certainty not hearsay or I heard someone say this or you know I, I read this on Facebook post or, on, or I heard it on a TikTok or whatever right but knowledge that a person has with certainty that whoever is asked about knowledge and then they hide it then they obscure it they will be bridled with rains of fire on the day of judgment you know, rains like the like the animals have the reins in their mouths that that the rider has to control them. That they'll be bridled, they'll be basically tied up and muzzled up and bound up with uh, uh, reins of fire on the day of judgment. So, in Islam, if somebody is threatening you with death or grievous bodily harm or grievous property damage, you are allowed to, in that moment, if you wish to lie in order to save yourself and if you wish to you're allowed to tell the truth as well and whatever difficulty you go through you'll be rewarded for it from Allah Ta'ala in that sense we don't have this idea of taqiyah that the rawafid have that in taqiyah I think like the definition that Saduq ibn Babaway gives and he's kadhub and Allah Ta'ala shahid uh, and what nonsense is filled in those books that he says that taqiyah is to hide or change the truth for any maqsad the person has uh, or uh, objective a person has to get some benefit from either in the deen or in the dunya we don't believe in that but we have now 2.0 right because we're not Shias we're Sunnis right 
So we don't believe in taqiyya. So what, what do we believe in? We believe in hikmah. We believe in what? Hikmah. Look, hikmah is wonderful. Okay, if a person just became Muslim right now, you may not want to find the one most triggering and controversial issue that you know is not even relevant to them to tell them right now. Because they have to learn how to pray and they have to learn how to... Fa- That's 100%, I get it, right? This is one extreme. But what's the other extreme? The other extreme is that you have so much hikmah that a person in their entire life passes by and even some issue which is a basic issue of aqidah and the deen they never hear because of what? Hikmah. This is what's meant by this hadith. Or this at least is what, what's included in this hadith. Is that the truth is the truth. Sometimes it is a bitter pill. Some people, there are certain issues that are beyond their pay grade or the capacity to be able to understand. Certain issues are not even relevant to certain people, so why should a person bring them up? But those parts of the deen that a person has so much quote-unquote hikmah that the entire lifetimes will pass by and nobody ever knows about it, nobody ever hears about it, which is a number of issues that we have in America. Like one of the fun things is like, you know, people who lived in America uh, and, you know, practice Islam for long enough, your pops will tell you this, right? There are so many things. At some point, someone just said like, okay, you're Hanafi and you're Shafi and these are madhabs. Everyone's like, oh my God, what's fiqh, right? And then all of a sudden people realize someone says Amin out loud and someone says it quietly and somebody right, puts their hands here, 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 whatever. And then they start fighting about it. They're like, man, I wish it... It was back in the old days when nobody even knew anything about any of this stuff, and like we were just, you know, uh, peace, you know, peace and calm with one another. It's cats out of the bag now, man. Knowledge is knowledge. You got to deal with it. It exists. You got to cope with it. So, in that sense, actually, the teachings of Islam are not such that a person should hearken and yearn for ignorance, as if to think ignorance is bliss. It's not like it's not bliss at all, in fact. But the fun thing is, in the Muslim world. These uh, cats getting out of the bag have been equilibrated. Here, we have to reinvent the wheel from scratch uh, for whatever uh, reasons, many of which make sense. We have to kind of like reinvent the wheel and like learn all these lessons the hard way over and over again. The point is, is this is that. So there are still many things in American Islam. Maybe Chicago is a little bit different because you live between Dar Salaam and Dar Qasim. You're going to hear a lot of things, right? But uh, uh, the rest of the country is like that. There may be certain things that a person is very shocked to learn is actually part of the deen. And they were always taught, literally like always taught from the Jummah Khutbah, that it's not Islam, it's not Islam. And then sure enough, show enough, right? What is it? It turns out that that's what Islam, exactly what Islam teaches. There's so many things like that. Uh, little petty false fictions that, that float around that people do because it sounds better on a, like a political ad or whatever, right? Um, uh, but this is, uh, uh, for those of you now that we've heard the hadith of the Rasul and we know better now. Which is what that the Rasul said that whoever asks about something that's a knowledge of certainty, whoever's asked about something and then they hide it. On the Day of Judgment, they'll be bridled with rains of fire, with billah. وعنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من تعلم علما مما يبتغى به وجه الله عز وجل لا يتعلمه إلا ليصيب به عرضا من الدنيا لم يجد عرف الجنة يوم القيامة يعني ريحها رواه أبو داود بإسناد صحيح. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa is narrated by the same Abu Hurairah who the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said whoever exerts himself to learn the knowledge of something that should be learned for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. Sincerely and purely for Allah Ta'ala's sake. Uh, mighty and majestic is he. But that person doesn't learn it except for in order to gain some part of the dunya. Some merchandise of the dunya. 
that person will not find the fragrance of uh, uh, of Jannah on the Day of Judgment. They won't even smell it. Meaning what? They won't even come close to it. Now, mashallah, uh, this is a good reason why you shouldn't say, I want to be faqih or like the next, like, you know, Muslim, 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 Islam evangelist YouTube star so that I can, you know, drive a nice car. People understand that. This also includes medical school. You get that. You know that, right? This also includes everyone who says, I want to like earn a living to provide for my family. Whoever learns a knowledge that a person should do for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, but they did it in order to get some peace in the dunya. And this is another thing, my Ustad, uh, that I read at the front half of the Mishkat from and a number of other books. He mentions this. He says, don't think that, don't think that, uh, uh, you know, running your store or doing your business or going to work is dunya. As long as a person is engaged in those things and they remember Allah Ta'ala, this is all 100% part of your deen. The dunya is what? The part of this material world which distracts you from Allah Ta'ala. That a person wants to, obviously, what do you mean by distract you from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala? It means what, right? Your favorite movie is playing downtown in in the IMAX theater and you just got a ticket and you're going to go watch, you know, some like adventures of whatever... Lord of the Rings of Star Wars, of X-Men, of the Marvel, Batman, Superman, whatever, right? There's a chance during that whatever cinematic uh, uh, extravaganza, 90 minutes, 97 minutes or whatever, that a person will not remember Allah Ta'ala. There's a chance that many people, if they were given that opportunity, they would go and they might miss their prayer. Someone says, that's not me. Okay, good. I'm not talking about you then. Mashallah, you guys are pious people. You came to learn ilm and mashallah. Of course, you cover your eyes in the kissing scenes and all this other stuff, right? So, and like, you know, you wouldn't go to something haram anyway in the first place. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about somebody else, right? The dunya, the point is the dunya is that part. You know, out of that 97 minutes, the dunya is the one minute that the haram thing happens in. Or that even nothing haram happens, but a person just forgets Allah Ta'ala. Doesn't remember Allah Ta'ala. That's what the dunya is. Not all the dunya is haram, by the way. Some of it is permissible. But you also have to be wary about that part of it that what? That distracts you. So this is not just a haram dunya. This also includes the halal dunya. That a person just wants dunya. That they only learn the knowledge for the sake of the dunya. Meaning they won't smell jannah. Meaning they won't come anywhere close to it. May Allah Ta'ala forgive us for those things that we did for the wrong reason or in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And we always have a chance to make tawbah and to rectify our intention for something better. And to do something better with what we have. And there are many things you can remember Allah Ta'ala with. And they're also enjoyable as well. If the children weren't here, I would have described some of them. But anyhow. وَأَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَمْرٍ بْنِ الْعَاصِرِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ عَنْهُمْ قَالَ سَمِعْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ يَقُولُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَقْبِضُ الْعِلْمَ انْتِزَاعًا يَنْتَزِعُهُ مِنَ النَّاسِ وَلَكِنْ يَقْبِضُ الْعِلْمَ بِقَبْضِ الْعُلَمَاءِ حَتَّى إِذَا لَمْ يُبْقِ عَالِمًا اتَّخَذَ النَّاسُ رُؤُوسٌ جُحَّالًا فَسُئِلُوا فَأَفْتَوْ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ فَضَلُّوا وَأَضَلُّوا مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ And so this is the last hadith inshallah we'll read for today's dars. MashaAllah, right? You're interested. What was that other thing you were talking about? We'll talk about it later inshallah. It's okay. Don't worry. It's good, I promise. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Amr radiallahu ta'ala anhu ibn al-Asi radiallahu anhu He converted, he accepted Islam before his father 
I almost said converted. In America, like, they'll beat you to death if you say convert in front of revert guys or revert in front of the convert guys. So he accepted Islam, mashallah, before his father did. And there's only 13 years age difference between the two of them. So they actually lived a, a, an entire life with one another. Very interesting uh, pair, both of them. But the maqam of the son is higher than that of the father. Even though we don't hear as much about him, I feel like. But a very, very amazing individual. Um, amongst their family heirlooms is the Sahifatul uh, Sadiqa, that they had a, a scroll that was transmitted through their family, through their descendants. Amr bin Shu'ayb and Abihi an Jaddihi. That's the Sanad of the, the, the descendants of uh, uh, Amr bin Asr, that uh, he, was, he was one of the few people who was allowed to write the hadith of the Prophet by the Messenger of Allah during his lifetime. So uh, I don't know that the, the physical artifact still uh, is known to people, that it still survives, but the hadith of the Sahifat Sadiqah at some point or another, it was like an annual ceremony. It would be taken out and shown to the people and things like that. But the hadiths of it are, are widely transmitted um, in, a number of, uh, in a number of books of hadith. So if you ever hear that, that uh, isnad, that's what it is. That's their, their, their family. You might, it's, it's, it's an interesting sound because the names of the companions aren't mentioned, but it's five generations that transmit that, uh, transmit those hadith. So he said, I heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, indeed Allah ta'ala will not, will not take away knowledge. Um, uh, uh, he, he won't just like take away the knowledge, like, like snatch it away. Um, from the people that like one day people will be like oh what's the surah after Fatiha but before Ali Imran again like it's not going to be like that rather uh, uh, Allah Ta'ala will take the knowledge back from the people by taking the, the, the ulama the people of ilm the people of knowledge uh, until there will be no person of knowledge left in the world and the people will take as their heads or as their leaders um, people who are just just abject ignoramuses and they will be asked and then they'll give their answers to questions uh, with no knowledge whatsoever and they will themselves be misguided and they'll cause other people to be misguided it's a hadith both of Bukhari and Muslim mashallah you can decide inshallah if such people exist uh, already right now um, but the issue is this is like we're not a hundred percent and like, you know, we're not companions, obviously, radiallahu ta'ala anhum. And, uh, uh, but we're also not all already at, we're not at the end. So it's, where it's like so bad. There's still a lot left. The books are still there. The mashayikh are still there. There may be few, there may be fewer people of knowledge. This hadith has a very important insight, in it, which is if you see any of the ulama, if you see any of the mashayikh are still alive, hustle and move and go 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 see them go to them whatever questions you have don't leave them for tomorrow take ask them today what happens is that the knowledge once it transfers from that person to you it's still there in the world but uh, uh, if there's nobody there to uh, ask so there's nobody there to tell then it goes into the it goes into the ground with with the sheikh they say that about Hafiz ibn Hajar they say there are entire branches of learning if he didn't write his fatul bari uh, uh, um, which is it's a it's obviously it's a canonical commentary on Sahih Bukhari, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. They say that if he didn't write uh, his Fatul Bari, entire branches of knowledge would have been buried with him, 
And if you read the book, it really is interesting like that. I mean, it really has like all sorts of stuff. You, they talk about AI now. The guy's like literally like the, there's like some Hadith AI thing or whatever that gives like, okay, some okay answers and some stupid answers. This is like what the AI software is trying to mimic. Right? The person already did it. People like him, people like Suyuti, people like Abna uh, Sakhawi, uh, um, uh, although albeit in very different ways. Like, there are different AIs, like Google has its own, and like, you know, uh, uh, Microsoft has its own, or whatever, right? Facebook has its own, which apparently is like the floppiest of all of them, but they're all very different, but you see how they, they do that work. If you read the, the, the tahqiqat in their books, like, they pose a question you never thought of, and they'll answer it in a way that you know you never would have been able to do enough research to be able to put, pull all the disparate pieces uh, of the puzzle together to understand or explain it. Point is, is what? Not everyone's going to write their knowledge in books. And even if they do, not everyone's going to read it to even know where to find it. If there's something you want, go now. Go today. Learn it. <coughs> because nobody's guaranteed it tomorrow. Once you have it, if the person you got it from dies, it's still there in this world. Then after that, the job is something else is to teach it. But don't think this, uh, you know, Sheikh Amina is going to be here forever. Don't think that, uh, uh, you know, the teachers at Dawah Qasim and the teachers at Dawah Salam and Mawlana Aziz and the other elders or even the people are Akran or you don't think that all of these things are going to be here forever. All these people are going to be here forever. Otherwise, there was a time that Damascus was also filled with Halab, was also filled with students of knowledge. Now look what's going on. The Mahd al-Fatha is empty. It's in, the classes are not going anymore. You know, the classes are not in session anymore. All sorts of places. Hafiz uh, Ibn Abd al-Barr. You know, uh, he was a Qadi of Lisbon. Lisbon doesn't have a Qadi anymore. Um, you know, uh, Baqi, ibn, uh, Baqi ibn Makhlad, uh, he was a muhaddith. They say that his musnad was longer than the musnad of Imam Ahmad. He's a, one of the muhaddithin of Andalus. Um, the Amir, who was himself, a, 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 again, Banu Umayyah, he was a, a, a great patron of hadith sciences. He basically protected him, otherwise the Malikis would have eaten him alive. It's very interesting. It's written in the, <laughs> written in the, <laughs> written in the, uh, uh, um, the Sir al-Alam. I'm like, what? I mean, he must have been saying Amin out loud or something, man. <laughs> What's going on? I said, the Amir, he had like, he had, he had, he had, he had uh, 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 caliphal patronage. Otherwise, the Malikis would have eaten him alive. But uh, look, those places, there's no Maliki and there's no Muhaddith, none of that. It's all gone now. And so uh, whatever you want, you know, they still survive. They still are alive in their knowledge. Somebody took something before everything fell apart. So this is also, uh, this is how, this is what we also learn from this, that there's no state, there's no madrasa, there's no human being, there's no institution that will survive forever. Uh, but the knowledge, as long as people keep carrying it, it will be amongst us. And once it's gone, then God help us, somebody's going to put some fatwa up on TikTok and then uh, you'll see, you'll see fires will burn and uh, blood will be spilled and may Allah Ta'ala be our protection from all of uh, all of that and all of those types of people wa sallallahu ta'ala rasulihi sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in